We're happy to see everyone here this morning on this Sabbath day. We have a Christmas program planned for you. Um, it's not in the bulletin as far as the order, but we know the order. <laughs> I guess that's all that's important. And uh, it's a combination of things um, that we want to do today, uh, some choir songs, some individual solos, uh, some readings, and some congregational singing also. So there'll be uh, all of those uh, combined in the program. Uh, before we start, I'd like to thank Sashi for playing for us, uh, for John Douglas for doing the readings that we're going to have today between some of the songs, and uh, also for Elena and Chera for being here uh, with us to have some of the solos and to sing with us. Uh, so hopefully we will all uh, get a blessing from today's program. Uh, it kind of is going through the first part of Christ's life when he was born, uh, goes on to the cross, and then at the end, uh, some of the uh, songs will be more about today and especially uh, when this world ends. And so uh, as we go through the program, hopefully in your mind you will be going on that uh, walk with us from his birth to where we are today. The first thing on our program today, I want you to open your hymnals and we'll have a congregational hymn, Silent Night 143, and we're only going to sing the first and the last stanzas of 143. And you can stay seated.
Outside of the Jewish nation, there were men who foretold the appearance of a divine instructor. These men were seeking for truth, and to them the spirit of inspiration was imparted. One after another, like stars in the departed heavens, such teachers had arisen. Their words of prophecy had kindled hope in the hearts of thousands of, G- of the Gentile world. For hundreds of years, the scriptures had been translated into the Greek language, then widely spoken throughout the Roman Empire. The Jews were scattered everywhere, and their expectations of the Messiah's coming was to some extent shared by the Gentiles. Among those whom the Jews styled heathen were men who, better un- who had a better understanding of the scripture. Prophecies concerning the Messiah's had then had the teachers in Israel. There were some who hoped his coming as a deliverer from sin. Philosophers endeavored to study into the mystery of of the Hebrew economy, but the bigotry of the Jews hindered the spread of the light. Intent on maintaining the separation between themselves and other nations, they were unwilling to impart their knowledge. They still posed concerning the symbolic service. The true interpreter must come. The one whom all these types prefigured must explain the significance. As Simeon enters the temple, he sees a family presenting their firstborn son before the priest. Their appearance bespeaks poverty, but Simeon understands the warnings of the spirit, and he is deeply impressed that the infant being presented to the Lord is the consolation of Israel, the one he has longed to see. To the, to the astonished priest, Simeon appears like a man enraptured. The child has been returned to Mary, and he takes it in his arms and presents it to God, while a joy that he has never seen before enters his soul. As he lifts the infant Savior toward the heaven, he says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to, the, according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast Thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people of Israel. The spirit of prophecy was upon this man of God, and while Joseph and Mary stood by, wondering at his words, he blessed an arising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which he be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thousands of of many hearts may have been revealed. Anna also, a prophetess, come in, come in and confirm Simeon's testimony concerning Christ. As Simeon spoke, her face lighted up with the glory of God, and she poured out her heartfelt thanks that she had been permitted to behold Christ the Lord. Mary pondered the broad and far-reaching prophecy of Simeon. As she looked upon the child in her arms, she recalled the words spoken by the shepherds of Bethlehem. She was full of grateful joy and bright hope. Simeon's words called to her mind the prophetic utterances of Isaiah. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch of shall grow out of the, his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And righteousness shall be the griddle of his loins, a faithful and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, that they dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them the light shined, for unto us a child is born, until us a son is given. The government shall rest upon 
his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, and and verse 9, 2 through 6. Yet Mary did not understand Christ's mission. Simeon had prophesied of him as a light to lighten the Gentiles, as well as a glory to Israel. Thus the angels had announced the Savior's birth as tidings to joy of all peoples. God was seeking to correct the narrow Jewish concept of, of the Messiah's work. He desired men to behold him, not merely as the deliverer of Israel, but as the redeemer of the world. But many years must pass before even the mother of Jesus would understand his mission. Mary looked forward to the Messiah's reign on David's throne, but she saw him. She saw not the baptism of suffering by which it must be won. Through Simeon, it is revealed that the Messiah is to have no unobstructed passage through the world. In the words to Mary, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. God in his t- tender mercy gives the mother of Jesus an intimid- in- t- intimidation of the anguish that already for his sake had begun to bear. Thank you. 
Will you turn in your hymnals to number 124? We'll sing Away in the Manger. We'll sing all three verses. To Jesus in his agony, on the cross there came one gleam of comfort. It was a prayer of the penitent thief. Both the men who were crucified with Jesus had first railed upon him, and then one under his suffering only became more desperate and defiant. But not so with his companion. This man was a hardened criminal. He had been led astray by evil associations, but he was less guilty than many of those who stood beside the cross reveling the Savior. He had seen and heard Jesus, and had been con- convicted by his teachings. But he had been turned away from him by the priests and rulers. Seeking to strifle conviction, he had plunged deeper and deeper into sin, until he was arrested, tried as a criminal, and condemned to die on the cross. And the judgment how, and on the way to Calvary, he had been in company with Jesus. He had heard Pilate declare, I find no fault in him, John 19, 
He had marked his godlike bearing and his pity forgiving, his pitying for, uh, forgiveness of his tormentors. On the cross, he sees the many great religiousness shot out to the tongue with scorn and ridicule the Lord Jesus. He sees the wa- a wagging heads. He hears the upbraiding speeches taken up by his companion in guilt. If thou be Christ, shall thyself in us, save thyself in us. Among the passerby, he hears many defending Jesus. He hears them repeat his words and tell his works. The conviction comes back to him and that this is Christ. Turning to his fellow criminal, he says, Does not, does not thou fear Christ? Seeing thou art in the same condemn, condemnation, the dying thieves have no longer anything to fear from man. But upon one of them presses the conviction that there is a God to fear, a future to cause him to tremble. And now all is sin polluted as it is. His life history is about to close. And we indeed justly he moans. For we receive due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. There is no question now. There are no doubts, no reproaches. When condemned for his crime, the thief had become hopeless and despairing. But strange, tender thoughts now spring up. He calls to mind all he has heard of Jesus, how he has healed the sick and pardoned sin. He has heard the words of those who believed in Jesus and followed him weeping. He has seen and read the title above the Savior's head. He has heard the passerby repeat it, some with grieved, quivering lips, others with jesting and mockery. The Holy Spirit illuminates his mind, and little by little, the chain of evidence is joined together. And Jesus, bruised, mocked, and hanging upon the cross, he sees the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Hope is mingled with anguish in his voice as the helpless dying soul casts himself upon a dying Savior. Lord, remember me, he cries, when thou cometh in, the, in thy kingdom. Quickly the answer came, soft and melodious, the tone hopefully full of love, compassion, and the power of the words. Verily I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. The bystanders caught the words as the thief called Jesus the Lord. The tone of the repentant man arrested their attention. Those at the foot of the cross had been quarreling over Christ's garments and casting lots upon his vesture. Stopped to listen. Their angry tones were hushed. With batted and breath, they looked upon Christ and waited for the response from those dying lips. As he spoke with the words of promise, the dark cloud that seemed to enshroud the cross was pierced by a bright light, by a bright living light. To the penitent thief, came to the perfect peace of acceptance with uh, God. Christ in, Christ in his humiliation was glorified. He, he who in all other eyes appeared to be conquered was a conqueror. He was acknowledged as a sin bearer. With amazement, the angels beheld the infinite the infinite love of Jesus, who, suffering the most intense agony of mind and body, thought only of others and encouraged the penitent soul to believe. In his humiliation, he was a prophet and addressed the daughters of Jerusalem as a priest and advocate. He had pled with the Father to forgive his murderers 
As a loving Savior, he had forgiven the sins of the penitent thief.
It is not the fear of punishment or the hope of everlasting reward that leads the disciples of Christ to follow him. They behold the Savior's matchless love revealed throughout his pilgrimage, pilgrimage on earth, from the manor of Bethlehem, from the manor of Bethlehem, to the Calvary's cross, and the sight of him attracts, it softens and subdues the soul. Love awakens in the heart of the beholders. They hear his love, they hear his voice, and they follow him. As the shepherd goes before his sheep, himself first encountering the perils of the way, so does Jesus with his people. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. The way to heaven's consecrated, consecrated by the Savior's footprints. The path may be steep and rugged, but Jesus has traveled that way. His feet have pressed down the cruel thorns to make the pathway easier for us. Every burden that we are called to bear, he himself has borne. Though now he has ascended to the presence of God and shares the throne of, of the universe, Jesus has lost none of his compassionate nature. Today, the same tender, sympathizing heart is open to all the woes of humanity. Today, the hand that was pierced is reached forth to bless more abundantly. His people that are in the world, and they never shall perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The soul that has given himself to the Christ is more precious in his sight than the whole world. The Savior would have passed through the agony of Calvary that one might have saved in his kingdom. He will never abandon one for whom he has died. Unless his followers cho choose to leave him, he will hold them fast. Through all the trials, we have, never failing we have a never failing helper. He does not leave us alone to struggle with temptation, to battle with evil, and be finally crushed with the burdens of sorrow. Though now he is hidden from mortal sight, the ear of faith can hear his voice, saying, Fear not, I am with you. I am he that liveth, and was saying, and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Revelations 1.18 I have endured your sorrows, experienced your struggles, encountered your temptations. I know your tears. I have also wept. The griefs that lie too deep to, to breath, breath breathe into a human ear i know think not that you are are de you are desolate or forsaken though your pain touched no responsive chord in any heart on earth look unto me and live the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed but my kindness shall be shall not be departed from thee neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed shall the lord saith the lord that he that hath hit mercy on thee, Isaiah fifty four ten.
If you'll get your hymnals out, we will sing 
Joy to the World, number 125. Sing all four stanzas. The work of redemption will be complete. In the place where sin abandoned, God's grace much more abandons, abounds. The earth itself, the very field that Satan claims as his, is to be not only ransomed but exalted. Our little world, under the curse of sin and the one dark blot in his glorious creation, will be honored above all other worlds in the universe of God. Here, where the Son of God, tabernacle to humanity, where the King of glory lived and suffered and died here, where he shall make all things new, the tabernacle of God shall be with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be the, and he will be their God. And through endless ages, as the redeemed walk in the light of the Lord, they will praise him for his unspeakable gift.
Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.